Howdy, Ags. Welcome to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M. Here, we help entrepreneurs improve their business, connect with other Aggie entrepreneurs, and support one another. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1998. Whoop! Well, we got a little story for you, Ags. Hayden Holt, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2017, is the Director of Business Development for Benchley a law tech firm that is owned by Revely Capital. Not a whole bunch of Aggies there. (laughs) But this company is helping the legal industry by leveraging what technology does best, thereby allowing the attorneys to do what they do best. So pass it back and listen up to Hayden as he shares some good bull. Welcome back, Ags. We have got a special Aggie Growth Hacks episode for you today. Hayden, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Both Chris and I, Chris, probably more than me, are technology geeks, but you have got a really cool company that is transforming the legal industry. And thank you so much for for joining us and sharing a little bit about what you're doing today. Well, thank you all, Greg and Chris. I you know I appreciate the opportunity. I've been looking forward to this for a while, and uh, anytime I can do anything uh, associated with the university, I'm uh, always happy to do that. Well, let's talk about that. So, so sure. you are fighting Texas Aid class of 2017. So not yes, too far removed from being a student on, on College Station campus, but what do you miss about being a student? I feel like the the generic answer here is probably student section during the football games. That's I bet that's a popular one. That's and a strong I, I do contender. miss that. My wife and I and our family still attend all the home games, so that's great that we're able to do that. But for me, it's really the friendliness of the student body when you're walking from class to class or the professors when you you know enter their classroom for the most part uh, it's just the friendliness the Aggie atmosphere so to speak is uh, something that I miss because once you leave the university and you graduate people don't tell you this but uh, it's a big dark and scary world and when you're walking around uh, downtown Houston in my case people are not waving to you or saying howdy you no know, <laughs> everybody's really eyes forward trying to get where they want to go so uh, the the business world and the culture is not a not a mirror image of what we value at AM, but that's okay. Well, I totally agree with that. You know, I mean, anytime that I go out to any other place other than Aggie Land right here, you know, Greg and I are both here in College Station. So anytime we're out and about, it's it's a little different, right? A little bit different. So tell me, what is Benchley? How did you start it? Give us a little bit of insight into why you started it and how you started it and, and really why are you passionate about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what eventually is, is we create software for attorneys and their staff, uh, specifically with their litigation documents. So there's a lawsuit going on. There's obviously a lot of documentation in that process back and forth between the client, the attorney, opposing counsel, all kinds of briefs and motions are being filed with the courts. And our tools, we have uh, quite a few now, um, have been able to streamline that process for them, which has been uh, very useful to the attorneys, to their secretaries and paralegals, and the overall law firm bottom line has been, uh, we've been able to impact that in a positive way. I personally got my passion with the legal industry at a in a uh, business law class at A&M. I had a Camille Haley, um, I believe she's still there in uh, the Mays Business School. She sparked my interest, and for quite a while, I thought about going to law school, and I was going to A&M for business, and i Love doing that so much. And I, I couldn't pick either one. I was at an intersection and then I kind of stumbled into this uh, 
legal technology industry is kind of the term that we use, but um, I, I've got a lot of passion for it. I have a minor in legal studies and kind of quasi attorney approach, I suppose. Tell us a little bit about your team, uh, team, because I mean, that's being able to talk legalese. I mean, you have a technology that literally creates legalese. So you have to have attorney on your staff, technology people on your staff. You got to kind of blend those two different types of brain thinking. And then I can't even think about, okay, you got federal things you got to be aware of, state specific things you got to be aware of. That's a huge elephant to overcome, a huge problem. How do you work through that? It, it's kind of like what you just hit on, Greg. It, it's a, a solid team, a good foundation. We do have attorneys on staff that are very effective. However, we also consult with attorneys. And I think personally, in, in my experience, our number one feedback comes from our clients and our users. And they're the ones that are getting their hands dirty and they're in it every day. And they're saying, hey, if you could add a button here to do this, that would change everything. And fortunately, are a pretty nimble company in that we can incorporate that into our development. And uh, that's the other side of the house is our, our programming team is fantastic. They're kind of spread out all over the country, but the ones that are that I at least work with, um, they're all just top notch, really good at what they do. They prioritize, you know, user experience is a big thing for um, attorneys, you know, they're kind of, they can be reluctant towards software. So if you make it as easy as possible, that's just one less kind of objection they can raise. So I've developed software myself, not myself, but I've had a team. So where did the idea come from? Like, where did it originate from? That's a great question, Chris. So Benchley itself is part of a fund that is actually, we call Reveille Capital. And Reveille Capital hmm. owns about six to seven different companies. And we have, uh, I kind of look at as two sides of the house. So we have a data and technology side, which I work in. And then we also have an oil and gas and real estate and kind of just a non-discriminatory side. If there's something we can invest in that works, we'll, we'll do that. But that being said, we um, acquired a case law database. Uh, we had been in the legal industry with other companies and ventures since 2012. Now I was in high school back then, but our company has been doing the legal thing, so to speak, for mm-hmm. Uh, quite some time now. And uh, anyway, the acquisition of this case law database has kind of sparked Benchly and what we have today. So all of our tools, all of our functionality, all of the development for our software is dependent upon this database. And it's one of what we estimate eight, there aren't more than 10 in the United States. They include every court in the country, go all the back, all the way back to the courts in the 1700s even. And we have a, a software that goes and keeps them current. So every night, you know, there are new opinions ruled and then we just go and scrape them and add them to the database. And kind of through those efforts, we're able to accomplish what we now have. We've added some tools along the way and it, it's been a journey, but the case law database that we acquired sparked everything and it's been fun since then. So if the acquisition of that database kind of sparked, Sparked everything. As you're looking out and you're seeing the growth of Benchling and how many mm-hmm. people you're able to help and how many cases you're able to influence and support, is there anything that you can kind of point to that was like a specific tipping point that really kind of set you on that accelerated trajectory that you're on now? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it was it was probably about say 18 months ago, a year to 18 months ago. Like any any company, if you're selling software and you have Walmart as a client or Amazon as a client. That is fantastic. But being in sales and having my background, the legwork to get 
that deal and the amount of energy and time it takes is significant to say the least. So what we did, and we have those clients and we maintain them and the tech supports a whole other, not an issue, but a whole other thing that we have to maintain also. So we kind of realigned, if you will, our priorities and we offer the way our product is priced and our billing models offer a solution that's geared more toward these solo and small firms. We identify a small firm as 20 attorneys or less, and we're able to provide them with the same solutions that these giant, you know, Baker bots, Kravitz, the, the larger, largest firms in the world, even the solutions that they use, we're able to give it to the guy that might be working out of his house. And once we started doing that, Greg, the business development side of things really started to accelerate. You know, you're not going through SOC audits. You're not going through security and compliance and infosec and all that stuff. You're just having the one or two attorneys say, okay, this works for me. And, you know, off to the races and their support requirements aren't as significant either. So it sounds like you significantly changed your customer focus, who you go after. And mm-hmm. that has, Absolutely. Been, you know, because we talk about that a lot with the Aggie entrepreneurs that are on this is the understanding who you serve, the value that you bring to them, and then tailoring everything in your company to support that. Was that a hard shift? Or once you saw the opportunity, it was easy to roll? It wasn't too hard. We were already doing it. It was more just taking our guys and saying, hey, instead of banging your head against a wall, waiting for emails from, you know, some of the largest firms in the world go knock on some doors, go, you know, go talk to this law firm or, or this attorney or anybody that is willing to listen to you that's in a small firm and uh, see what happens. And when we started doing that, it really started working for us. And, and I kind of have a saying that I like to use is we'd rather be an inch deep, but a mile wide than a mile deep and an inch wide. So, you know, if you've got one giant client and that's your entire business, that's great. And a lot of people do that. But if you've got a small army of small clients, yeah, exactly. You lose that client. Well, then what do you do? So we, uh, yeah, we've shifted our uh, kind of focus and it's proven to be the right move. Wow. I really love that. So before we jump into our next question though, let's take pause right here for a message from our sponsor. All right. So Hayden, tell me what's been your biggest challenge in the growth of Benchley? You know, keeping up with the legal industry, you know, like many other industries, now is a very volatile time in business. Oil and gas, crazy. Software, not just legal software, but any software. FinTech is exploding. I mean, it's just, you know, then that's such an overused word, exploding, but that's what's going on in the legal industry and beyond. And keeping up with that has proven to be a challenge. Now, for our software, the process has been the same and stays the same with exception to sometimes the courts change how they want to format the documents. That's very easy for us to incorporate. It's really not a big deal. But the demands from your CIOs and, and what they come to expect, even how products are built and how they're bought are just the difference in how it was even before the pandemic. There was a big shift in the pandemic in the legal industry because unfortunately so many support staff and the attorney's offices were laid off or you know even they had to go work from home and uh, the attorney would have to go and do the what our software accomplishes uh, on their own and quite frankly they learned that in law school but that's not why they went to law school they went so they could go argue and and fight for their clients they didn't go to format word documents that are 45 pages long and that's yep. uh, kind of been a challenge has been 
keeping up with that and capitalizing on it too. How do you make the determination of what Benchley can do and what's the responsibility of Benchley and what the attorney can do? As you're saying that, and I equate that to like a dentist and a hygienist. I mean, mm-hmm. a dentist can exactly. do all of the cleaning and everything, but the dentist doesn't serve their clients the best and the dentist doesn't make money, doesn't make as much money by doing right. that. That's why you have a specialist. But in your world, you know, I mean, it's the attorney that's packaging everything together. So how do you cut that line of what you guys support with and where it's okay, there's the creativity and the the logic of the attorney to fill out? We kind of have a, an internal saying and anybody in the legal industry, whether they're an attorney or kind of on our side of the house, will pick up on this, but every law firm is different. I mean, just like every city is different. They're all run differently. So Sometimes the attorney does it all themselves. And other times, similar to that dentist and hygienist example, it's just more efficient, more cost effective to have a paralegal or a legal secretary uh, do these documents. That's what they specialize in. So kind of moving on with that point, the attorney went to school and they, and they do their job so they can argue before the court and they can argue for their client and get the best possible outcome for their client. That is their job. How that's accomplished varies from case to case. And like I said, some sometimes the attorney's doing the documents and other times the paralegal is working on it. Most often what happens is the attorney will write their thoughts and their argument and they will craft it and they will take the cited authority and put it where it needs to be so it supports that argument because they're trying to give a document to the judge saying, this is why you should rule in my client's favor. And the paralegal will take that and make it court ready. And they will take it all the way to the point where it's ready to file with the court. And so it's then, the paralegal's uh, fault for all the legalese. That's what I just heard. It's all paralegal's fault for, for, for I mean, I, I, I don't want to go on record <laughs> and say that, but it's different in every firm. They all kind of have different operations, which from a business development standpoint can be difficult to kind of overcome, but is a worthwhile endeavor. So, hey, that, that is so cool. That's it's really hard to make that kind of distinction. How, how did y'all actually make that kind of distinction there in between who's doing what and how did the law firms actually do that? The way that we approach it is we just get to know our clients and we get to know our, our prospects, essentially. I mean, we uh, this is a very relationship-driven business. Um, you have to, a lot of times what works for us is, you know, you can cold call someone all you want, but really what happens is they're working on a brief it's two hours before the filing deadline, which is either at you know five o'clock on a Friday or midnight even. And they say, oh, I've got to build a table of authorities, which is what our product specializes in, one of our products. And that process manually through Microsoft Word takes a skilled paralegal, let's call it two hours, uh, someone who really knows what they're doing. It can be three to four even. It's a very complex process. If you've ever written an essay or something and there's a picture in word and you move it and everything explodes that times 10 is what a table of authorities is when they're in that moment and they're thinking this has to be filed my attorney is going to lose his mind or her mind if this isn't filed on time it's going to look bad on them because their name's on the document and in that moment is when they think oh i saw benchley at a conference or i saw i got an email from this guy talking about it let me go and load it up real quick or let me you know, let me try it. And it's kind of in those moments where we learn what's really going on from the operational standpoint within the law firm on who's doing what, essentially. Well, you guys are really 
providing such a good value to be able to streamline because it sounds like a, the only thing that you do, but you do a lot of the grunt work that mm-hmm. has to be done, but doesn't necessarily sway a case one way or the other. So you're allowing the paralegal, you're allowing the attorney to be able to to focus on what really does matter. That yes. is radically changing the industry. So what is Benchley's BHAG? What's your 10-year moonshot? Where are you going to be in 10, 15 years? I saw this question and I gave it some thought. I know the answer right away. And that is to sell, be acquired, what have you. That That's just the name of our business. I mentioned the Revely Capital Fund yep. that we're in. That's This is just a means to an end. Benchley will perform well and will you know, develop a great customer base. And at some point, there are many much larger companies than ours in the legal industry. And uh, at some point, someone will buy us or we'll sell or something like that. And it's just constantly moving, if you will. There are you know, businesses come and go. I think some people, you kind of have to think at the big picture. You can't get emotionally attached to a company. So I, I would hope that in we were founded in 2016. I would hope by 2026 or 2030 at the latest. I mean, that's a big gap, but I'd hope that we're we're sold. Okay. So that's that's just the name of the game in our business. And it's, you know, it's kind of a different take. Some people probably say, Oh, I hope to get 50 million in revenue or or you know, whatever awesome goal they have. But for us, it's we kind of turn and burn companies. That's the name of uh, name of our business. That's your model. That's not any better or worse than than someone growing a company and passing it to the eighth generation. It's just mm-hmm. a different model than what you and the owners want to do. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so it keeps it interesting though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because a lot of small businesses they start with you know, hey, I'm going to pass this down to my son or grandsons or whatever, you know. So yeah, definitely a different mindset there. So that brings us to our lightning round. And before we jump in there, though, we're going to pause here to listen to a message from our sponsor. All right, and we're back. All right, so this is our lightning round. You ready, Hayden? Yes, sir. Bring it on. Rules rules are simple. You got to answer within a minute or less. And so here's the first question. What's your favorite hack? This can be personal, can be business, whatever. Anything goes here. Um, this one actually goes both worlds. I mean, I use it in business more than I use it personally, but I just tell myself, do your research. And that essentially for me means if I'm having lunch with a client, I better know what that client does, what their business model is, anything that pertains to them in the, in a business sense, I want to know what it is. And that's simply because people like to talk about themselves. So if, you know, you and I are having a conversation and I say, oh, how's your business doing? Your eyes will light up and you'll say, oh, it's great. And, you know, maybe, yeah, how your business is doing is probably important to me. But what's more important is that you don't think I'm talking about myself. And I'd rather hear what's going on in your world. So doing your research on a person, if you can figure them out, is a good uh, good hack. In anyone that's been in business development, their favorite tool is Google. In some ways, it's a little bit scary what you can find out about somebody it is. if you know what website to look at. So It is. <laughs> but that also shows that, hey, you care about them and you're not wasting their time about things that you should know about it. So what is your favorite advice that you've been given and bonus points if you can give us an example of how you've actually used it? My favorite advice kind of goes back to the last question, but I would say knowing about another person, not being self-centered and being focused on that other person's objectives. A good example of this was not too long ago. I was in a managing partners firm in a a law firm in Austin. And I walked into his office and he's got a pretty much a tapestry. This thing was massive. 
of a green on a nice lush golf course. And, you know, instantly, you know, the guy likes golf and I enjoy golf myself and uh, many of the people I work with do. And uh, naturally just kind of eased into the conversation with that. And uh, we haven't played golf together yet, but we've talked about how we need to get and do it. So from a personal standpoint, that's great. But also from a business standpoint, developing a relationship that way, kind of outside the box and People have been doing business on the golf course for years, but there's a reason it works. And that just knowing about who you're dealing with, that's probably the best advice I've gotten. It's helped me anyway. Awesome. All right. What is your superpower? What is my superpower? I think at least that I'm able to talk the talk and walk the walk. Some people only talk the talk and some people only walk the walk. But to do both is it's not easy, but it's just kind of a something that's been ingrained in me. If, if you say something you do it, you deliver on it, you make sure that it's there. If you say, I'm going to get this to you before five, it better be there at 4.59 or earlier. That's just how I operate. Works well in business, obviously. It works well personally. The other thing I kind of like is if it takes less than five minutes, just do it right then and there. I, I adopt that one all the time. Well, Hayden, you are working in a dynamic company in a fast growing and fast paced field, but what gets you excited and what gets you out of bed just ready to take on the day? Um, I kind of touched on this earlier, but the explosion of legal technology in the first quarter of this year, uh, I believe it was about $750 million was invested in legal technology startups and ventures. First quarter. Um, wow. I'm not sure what FinTech was. We don't really compete against them, but that amount of money in one quarter is insane. Now, from a competitive standpoint, that also keeps me up at night. So it's exciting, gets me out of bed, but you know, there are always people barking at our door and trying to do what we're doing or, or mimic kind of our operation. And that, that will keep you up at night too. So it's uh, sometimes you don't sleep and you just get out of bed because you have to, I guess. Love it. All right. So how can the Aggie network get in touch with you and support you moving forward, Hayden? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're pretty involved with the Texas Aggie bar association. That was a sensible partnership for us. So we're always looking forward to uh, working with them ex uh, exclusively and uh, I know I've touched on our, our fun Revly Capital, but we're always hiring Aggie interns. We do typically do them in the summer and do them on the winter breaks. And even spring break, we'll have some people come in. Um, I mentioned we have a current Aggie student who runs our social media right now earlier. And we're very tied into the Aggie network. I mean, we're all wearing our rings in the office and there, there's a good amount of us there. We do have some Texas grads in there, but they're, they're good, capable too. <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I think, <laughs> but Hayden, thank you so much for joining us. We, it's really cool to, to learn you and to learn the company, to learn a little bit more uh, about Revly Ventures and, and all the focus that you've got in this industry and really making some pretty impactful changes in a fast changing industry. So thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for being able to join us and, and willing to share. Oh, well, thank you all for the opportunity. Uh, like I said earlier, I've been looking forward to this one and happy to share, I guess, what you would call wisdom. Thank you, Greg, for that credit. Well, howdy, Ags. That is what you call some good bull right there. I had some really good takeaways. Uh, what was your favorite one, Greg? Uh, there was a lot that, that we talked about, and I'd never really thought much about law tech. But specifically with this company and it being a venture-backed company, I thought it was really cool that they understood what their business model was and what their exit strategy was. 
I think historically we've talked with a lot of entrepreneurs that have been family businesses or, or first generation entrepreneurs that are still growing the business and don't necessarily know what the exit looks like, but every entrepreneur is going to exit their business at some point. And to be able to have the clarity of what they're going to do, what eventually is going to grow to and, and to be acquired. I mean, that that's not a bad model at all. I mean, so they can achieve the goals of the entrepreneurs of the owners while at the same time disrupting and helping this pretty fast growing and pretty amazing industry. What about you, Chris? What was the things that stuck out to you? So the biggest thing that stuck out to me really was, you know, focus on the other person, right? He said that a couple of times, you know, throughout, and it's something that as a marketer, I think about all the time and something that I, I coach my own clients on is that, you know, instead of talking about ourselves, you know, how about focus on someone else's problems, right? And make them, you know, kind of the hero of the story instead of, you know, you being the hero of the story. So I think that, you know, it's important not only for marketing, but for sales as well. And really business in general, if we're focused, you know, on other people, you know, I think that our businesses are going to grow at a much faster pace anyways, I think. So that was my biggest takeaway. But then coupled with that, he talked about, you know, how they kind of shifted to, the smaller firms at 25 and below, you know, it's great going after the whales, but if that's not who's getting the most value or the sales cycle is so long, it's great to land a whale. But if you're bankrupt before you can land it, then it's kind of pointless. Right. Or you focus on that whale and then that whale leaves, right? I mean, that's a huge issue with pretty much every single company. You want those nice, small, uh, quick wins, right? Not quick wins, but you know, base hits. Diversification of cash flow is is what my bank nerd mind thinks. But (laughs) no, that's true. But at the end of the day, it's all about bringing value and focusing on the other. Absolutely. Well, Ags, that's going to do it for this episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you connect with today's guest. And if we're not connected, Chris and I hope that you connect with Aggie Growth Hacks, that you connect with us personally on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever social media platform that works best for you. Uh, We hope that you check out aggiegrowthhacks.com where you can not only hear this episode, but our previous episodes, as well as our other amazing content. We want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub of entrepreneurship for Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a wantrepreneur, head on over to their website and find a program that's right for you. Just go to aggiegrowthhacks.com forward slash McFerrin today. So join us next time when we connect with another great Aggie entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Till then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig them.